In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to the epistle of Hebrews, the third, 13th chapter. For those of you who don't know that this book of Hebrews was written to some people who had forsaken the Judaism faith and had turned to Christianity. But under heavy persecution, some of them had had thoughts of going back. And so the writer here begins to present what they have in Christ as so much better than what they left. How many of you know this morning that what you have today in Christ is so much better than what you left? Because God comes into our lives to make us better, to make us soldiers fit for his army. And understand that I thank God for everything that I stand against, every obstacle that I'm up against. I thank God. I do it in joy because I see the goodness of God on the horizon. I see what God wants. And understand this, that, that, that there are some times that the enemy will come in and trying to stop what you're trying to do. And most of you know and understand that I've been preaching about love. And so in the midst of what's happening, I found it befitting to get back to the basics of we need to love one another. So beginning at the verse, first verse of the 13th chapter of Hebrews, it reads, it says, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember them that are in bond, as bound with them. And them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, in the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulteries, God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave you, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I want to read this in the NIV as well, if I can. In the NIV, it makes it plain. He says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget, forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. 
and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexual immoralities. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will, I will, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. From this text, I would like to pin for a thought this morning. You can count on God. You can count on God. The writer here makes it plain. His mission. And that is to let them know that regardless to what you're going through, regardless to the circumstance and the situation, that you can always count on the Lord. There is not abs there's absolutely nothing that you're going through that God is unaware of. There is nothing that you're going through that God is apathetic about. God knows exactly the challenges that you are facing. Even if you have not spoken it out of your mouth. Because he is just that type of God. He can see the thoughts that we think before we even think them. God knows. And understand that that's a good thing, brothers and sisters, that God knows what you're going through. God knows the challenges that you and I will face. The reality of it is that some of these challenges we need to face. There are some difficult moments and some difficult times that are going to try our faith and to show us exactly where our faith is in God. One of the things that God has shared with me is that the reason why you go through what you're going through, because you need to know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm with you. And so I'm here to tell you this morning that regardless to what, you can count on God. But understand here also that, that there are some parameters here that have been set. It's not necessarily stated in the text, but we can see it in the text. Because as I said, that these, this is a church that there are some members that are thinking about leaving the church and going back to the old way of Judaism. And so Paul, I mean, the, the writer here is convincing them and letting them know that, hey, listen, you have a far better covenant here in this new covenant with Christ Jesus. You have a better sacrifice. You have a better priest. You have a better savior up underneath Christ Jesus. And so, and so what does he do here is he compels them to love one another. 
Look here, in, 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 there's some difficulty in the English language with this. You really need to see it in the Greek because in the Greek, he tells them to have brotherly love. He says, let brotherly love continue. Well, brotherly love is love between brothers and sisters. The Greek word there is Philadelphia. And it means to have a love for your brothers and your sisters. But on a broader sense, it encompasses the idea of treating fellow believers as they are actually family members. It's treating them with respect and compassion. It's being long-suffering and understand that ain't none of us perfect. And I, I, I said ain't. None of us are perfect. Not a one of us. But if we share in this brotherly love in which Paul, I mean the writer, I keep saying Paul because I believe this is Paul writing it, but I'm not for certain. That the writer is writing with, he said, have that brotherly love amongst one another. I know that you're going to fall out. There's going to be some things, some circumstances, situations. You're not going to always agree on everything. But even in the midst of it, you can still have this Philadelphia brotherly love. But, but, but here in this verse, first verse, this, this is the real clue to this whole thing about this brotherly love. Because the writer uses a method of an envelope because the word let and the word continue are the same words. And what they mean is they mean to be constant, to be unmovable, to be steadfast in your love, to remain in your love. He keeps it in context here because he wants you to understand and know that there's no way that you should ever let love escape. There's nothing that anyone can do to us that should stop us from loving them. You may not like them. You may not like what they do. But don't ever let love escape from your grasp. This is what he's really saying here. In other words, he says, he said, let brotherly love continue. And he urges us to prioritize and actively nurture love and unity within the Christian community. That's really what he's saying here. This love is active. It is not passive. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, we should be looking for opportunities to show love. Listen here, what would happen if the entire church did this? What, what would the church look like if we did this? But understand that the enemy, is, that's the first thing that he wants to attack. Because that's how he sows discourse. That's how he creates separation. But here the writer says that no, don't ever let love stop. Always keep it close to you. Always continue in it. Why? Because we're family. 
Whether you like it or not, you're still my brother, you're still my sister in Christ. Whether you agree with me or I disagree with you, you're still my brother and sister in Christ, and I love you just the same. I don't stop loving you because I don't like what you're doing. In 1 Peter, it tells us that, that, that your love ought to cover a multitude of sin. So what? Because they sinned against you. God told us to forgive. God told us to love them. Even in the midst of it. Yeah, you may get mad, you may get upset, but get over it and begin to love. It may take you some time. But don't let it be a, a long, drawn-out process. Because you have to remember how God loved you. That, that, that's what you really should be reminded of. All of the mess that you brought to God and you had to get you out of, but yet he still loved you. Even in the midst of your sin, God still loved you. So how dare you sit up with unforgiveness in your heart when God has shown us something completely different. He's told us that we're to love. Listen here, the Bible said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and thy strength. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, it's just as important for you to love others as you love in God. Because how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother who you see every day. That's what it really boils down to. This is, this, is, this is how you pick up the pieces. You pick them up by loving people. Loving the bitterness, the resentment. Loving the hardness of them. In hopes that you might heap coals of fire upon their heads and let them see that there's a need for all of us, not just them, but all of us need to repent. Every last one of us has something in our lives that we need to repent of before the Lord our God. But we see to always want to see it in other people. What is it that we're seeing in our own lives? When we look into the mirror of God's word, what are you seeing? And I'm compelled that I'm going, I'm going to look at it. God, fix me. I'm not asking you to fix anybody else, God. You fix me, God. Because God, if you fix me, I know I'm going to be all right. It don't matter what they say, no matter what they do, I'm going to be all right. Fix me, God. But then he goes from there and he goes in not only us in the church, loving one another in the church. Because that's where it starts at. That's where evangelism starts at. It starts in this house. It, it starts with us sharing the truth with one another. But then he said that, that, that when you go outside of the house, when you run into strangers, people who are outside of the house of faith. 
He said, he said that we are to, 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 to love them as well. For he says in verse 17, he said, but be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. In other words, he's saying that your love needs to go beyond these four walls as well. It, you know, it, well, I, I won't say that because I was going to say it's easy to love church folk, but no, that ain't always the case. Because sometimes church folk can be more difficult to love than those people that's out there on the street. But in, even when we leave these four walls, we are to show love and show hospitality to those who are outside. Now understand this here, it talks about here hospitality, not necessarily talking about bringing them into your home. But it's saying that you should show some type of kindness to people who are strangers, people you don't know. It don't cost you nothing to smile at folk. It, it don't cost you enough to, to, to be a living epistle but to them that are outside of the household of faith. Don't you know that most of them are not going to pick up a Bible, that they need to see Christ living in you? And you won't even invite them into your space, let alone your home. What he's saying is that you open up your heart. To more than just the folk that are in your household. To more than just the folk in your church. Invite them into your space. Let them know that, there, that, there, that there's love and compassion here in your space. Not judgment. Because that's what we've been showing. Let, let, let them know that, hey, listen here, there's safety. Well, I'm giving you something that's, that will give you safety. I offer Christ to you. you know, there, 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 there's never a time when it's okay for us as believers to be rude, mean-spirited. There's never room for that. Here he's saying, some of you have entertained angels unaware. And understand, when you entertain an angel, they're going back to make a report to guess who? What kind of report is going back up on you? You don't, you don't know. This is, this is the word of God. Some of us have entertained strangers or angels unaware. They've been disguised as strangers. How have you treated them? How have you loved them? Have you shown any type of commitment towards them? This is, this, is what, this is what the writer is talking about. This is the umbrella under which God is there for us. He's going to ultimately always be there for us. But he wants us to get underneath this parameter of love, brotherly love, about seeing about one another, about being committed to the, to, the, to the welfare of others. Not being so stingy, willing to bless other people, to be a blessing to them. This is what he says. 
He said, be not forgetful. In other words, always constantly remind yourself of who you are. And not just who you are, but whose you are. We belong to God. And we need to show an example of that. And the best way for us to show that example is in how we conduct ourselves. Because he says that in verse number five. But let me, let, let, let me back up a little bit. Verse three, I want, I want to deal with verse number three because verse, verse number three talks about those who are in bounds, in bonds that have been bound. These are folk that are struggling with some type of issue in their life. They've been bound by sin. And so here he's instructing us that we're to even love those people. The people who are struggling with drug addictions, alcoholism. It does not matter. Whatever they're bound in, we are to be there for them. We're to love them. He said, remember them that are bound and bound with them. He said, because guess what? All but for the sake of God, you could be in the same predicament that they're in. If it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, there I am also. But because God loved me so much that not only did he save me from my sin, but he rescued me from my wretchedness. He took me out of that old way of life and gave me a brand new life to live in him. This is, this, this is what the Lord has done for you. This is what the Lord has done for all of us that are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus, this does not apply to you. This is for those who are in Christ Jesus. For he is the author and the finisher of my faith. God is the one that has begun this good work in me, and he's going to complete it until the day of redemption. And yes, God is still working on me. And I'm praying that he's still working on you as well. How we love one another inside of the church as brothers and sisters is key. How we love others outside of the church is necessary for the commission that God has given us. You will never win folk judging them and putting them down, looking down our noses at them. There are some times that love will make you roll up your sleeves and get down in the trenches because Paul put it like this. He said, I became all things to all men that I might win them for Christ. And that's what Christ wants us to do. It's time out. We got to roll up our sleeves. We've been given a commission. We got to roll up our sleeves. When you leave out of here, you should be looking for someone you can share the gospel with. And understand that, yes, the evangelism uh, message and ministry is going to Start here. But I told you we have to be ready for it. It makes no sense in bringing folk in here and we ain't ready to deal with them. Are you ready to deal with what we're going to go into? Can, can, can you love the unlovable? Huh? 
Can, 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 can you deal with that? Can you, can you deal with some folk that come in here that don't, like I said, don't look like us and don't act like us? Because here's the deal. Just like God was able to change your life, he can change their life. Amen. Sunday school lesson today was very profound. Because it deals with that very thing. It deals with the wheat and the tares. The interesting thing about this text that I noticed is that both of them were growing. The wheat and the tare were growing. My hopes is that if you're a tare and you're sitting here, that the word of God can convert you into something that is useful for God's glory. You see, because if you are tares, you have no usefulness to God. God cannot use you for his glory when you're tear. I mean, at the end of the, song, at the, end of the parable, what happened to the tear? God separated them, he bound them up, and he burned them. And what that tells is that there was no usefulness for them. But he said, let them grow together. And in the end, I'll do the separating. Because the reality of it is that you really can't tell the wheat from the tear sometimes. And you call yourself plucking up tares and you're really plucking up wheat. So let them grow together. And that's all I'm saying that there are some people that's going to come in here that are bound. They're tares. They, they really have, really have no, no, no usefulness to God for his glory. But if they sit up underneath the priest's word, if they can just hear the priest's word without any condemning or, or judgment on them, if, let them, if you'll let the word of God do what it's going to do in their lives, that's what it really takes. And so that's how we're to conduct ourselves. We're to let brotherly love continue. We're to envelope, we're to close it in. We're to not let it escape and get out of our presence. It's the type of love we ought to have for one another and for those outside of the church. Then he goes on and he talks about the marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled and how whoremongers and adulteries won't escape. In other words, God's going to judge the whoremongers and the adulterers, so you don't need to judge them. Because God's going to judge them. Our thing is to give them the word of God. And in giving them the word of God, it's in hopes that they would repent and turn from their sinfulness. And he said that this is all done by how you conduct your life, how you live your life. What kind of testimony are you? Look what he says in verse number five. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now hear that word conversation in the Greek. Not only involves your speech, but it involves how you live your life, how you conduct yourself. 
In other words, he's saying that this all comes together. This all comes in combination. One person. It's your conversation, your lifestyle, your conduct. Because that's what we can examine. In other words, what he's saying is that he said, don't, don't, don't be wanting what other folk got. Listen here, if, if I covet anything that you have, I want to covet the love and the respect that you have for others. That's what I want to covet. That's what I want to have in mind. That's what I want to mimic. Because that's what I'm mimicking from Christ. Don't, don't, don't covet other people's gifts. Certainly don't covet other people's money and their possessions. Because understand that God has something that is especially just for you. And that's why we ought to be able to rejoice when God blesses somebody else. You need to be able to rejoice with them. I don't covet anybody, any man's anything. In the book of Acts, it tells that we are not to covet any man's silver or his gold. I don't covet anything from anybody. I'm too busy thanking God for what he's already given to me. That's what I'm, 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 I'm thinking. I, I, I'm looking at how blessed I am, how God has blessed me. And so when God blesses you, I can sing hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and celebrate with you. Because what God has done for you, he'll do for others as well. He, said, he says, let your conversation be without covetousness and to be content with such things as ye have. This is contentment. In other words, be satisfied with what God has given you. I understand that you, you ought to know that, that, that your circumstance and situation really could be a whole lot worse than it really is. Spend far much time, too much time complaining. There's nothing wrong with complaining. It just depends on who you're complaining to. Because when you take it to God, God will straighten you out. And I, 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 you know, I, I walk up to people all the time and say, you know, you know how, how you doing? Oh, I can't complain. I say, well, that's good. That's good. You see, because when you're complaining, it means that you, you're not satisfied with what the Lord has given you. But, but, but most of us, you know, rationalize, say, well, I'm not really complaining. I'm just, I have my concerns. Well, don't you know that God knows your concerns even before you utter it out your mouth? Here he's saying, just be satisfied with what you got. And here's the primary reason why. Because, because there's some stuff that you've been asking and bugging God about that you can't really handle. And God knows that if he gives this to you, you're going to walk right by his church. You'll stop serving him in the capacity in which you're serving him in. What it really boils down to is that, that God can't trust you with some stuff. But if we show this contentment, if we show this sense of satisfaction and appreciation for what God is already doing in our lives, 
When you show a sense of gratitude to God and be thankful for what the Lord has already gave you, he can then trust you with even more. But stop complaining. Stop being concerned. And just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. He said, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake you. Perhaps one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Because what this is, is this is a promise from God. And what this says is that, that it does not matter wherever life takes you. It does not matter wherever you go. He has promised here in his word that he will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. And I don't know, really know if you even get that. Why are you out here and you're still struggling? You're still getting over by hook and crook. You need to understand that God is there with you. Yes, there are still some Christians that are struggling with those old ways. But God has promised you he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What he's saying is that he'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you unto yourself. Because one of the worst places that we can be is to be left up to our own way of thinking. Because our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You are messed up down here trying to figure things out, trying to get things. No, let it go and let God. Have the mind of Christ. Turn it over to God. That's, that, that's, when, that's when fear creeps in. When we don't realize and take God at his word that he's always there. And not only he's always there, he always cares about you. God is always working on your behalf. And so therefore, there's no need for you to fight any battles. And as David said before he faced Goliath, he said, the battle is the Lord's. It's not mine. And some of you are facing giants in your life. Giants of sickness and illness. Some are facing financial giants. Some are facing relational giants. Giants that are insurmountable. Giants that when you look at them, that's all you can see is the problem. You can't see nothing else. But understand that God is there. Why? Because you can count on him. The scripture says that if I make my bed in hell, you are there. God is always there. He sits high and he looks low. And not only is he watching and seeing everything, he's ready to step in on your behalf. But he won't do it until you let go of it.
You let him do it. Because we keep messing things up. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And there's a good reason why he says this to us. There was a price to pay for him to say this. Because the Bible tells us that sin stinks in the nostrils of God. And it's very difficult for God to deal in our situations when we're littered in sin. And so he had to make a way for us. He had to make the perfect sacrifice for us. Now understand that this sacrifice is a lasting, an everlasting sacrifice. As a matter of fact, this sacrifice continues to cleanse. This sacrifice continues to forgive. Even after we sin and sin and sin, he continues to forgive and to forgive. But there was a price that needed to be paid. And so in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. I think you know it. His name is Jesus Christ. He sent forth his son in the form of a man. The Bible declared that he took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself to the point of death. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. That's what he did. Over 2,000 years ago, he came down, lived as a man, taught us how to live this life. Lived it before us. He was constantly forgiving, constantly loving, constantly giving of himself. Even to the point of giving himself on Calvary's cross. Because he declared that no man takes my life. But I give my life as a sacrifice, as a ransom. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. They condemned him like he was a common criminal. But yet they found no fault in him. But yet because God, it pleased God that he allowed them to march them on up Golgotha's hill to a place called Calvary, the place of the skull. And there's where they nailed him in his hands. They nailed him in his feet. Put a crown of thorns on his head. Suffer blood and die. And die for our sins. Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And because God forsook his son, he cannot forsake us. Because all of our sin had been placed upon Jesus Christ. He died for all of our sin, the past sins. The present sin and any future sin that we did. God has died. Jesus died for it. He gave his life. Hung his head in the locks of his shoulders and he died on that cross. Buried in the tomb and on the third day he rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. He gave his life for us. But he rose that we might be justified. He sits at the right hand side of the father making intercession. He's praying for us. And he's going to come back again. I look forward to that day that he comes back again. I'm excited about it. I look with great anticipation of him coming back. Because I know then that everything that was wrong 
will be made right. Everything that, that, that the devil is trying to do is going to be put to a halt. And he'll set up his kingdom here for a thousand years. For a thousand years, we will be with him. We will reign with him. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. You can count on God. He can be trusted. He is a faithful God. If he declared it, it's going to come to pass. If he said it, he must stand by it. You can count on him. And he said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You can take that to the bank. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. Is there one? Thank you, sir. Is there one?